Hello, 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 and welcome to the second episode of the Curiosity Complex with me, Nat. Um, today, I'm going to talk about optimism. I may have misled you in the first episode and built up your optimism because I said there'd be a guest on the way. There is, just not in this episode, so I do sincerely, sincerely apologise for that. Um, thank you to those that listened to the first episode. It was only about seven minutes long and I didn't really speak about very much. But all the views uh, are, you know, important to me in a way. And although I'm doing this for my own kind of enjoyment, I think it's it's always nice to get feedback and to hear that people actually like what you're saying. Um, so hopefully you enjoy the topic of positivity and what I'm going to talk about in regards to it today, which is my experiences with it in a sports setting, mostly. Um I'm going to talk about the potential negative sides of it as well. Um, so, there, as I said, I really do apologise. There is no guest yet, but I have a couple of people at least who I've been speaking to and I've got topics ready for and I'm going to be rolling those episodes out as soon as we kind of get our act together and put together some content. So let's get straight into it. Uh, in terms of optimism i think it's one of those words that's become lost in the meaning um you've got positivity which is kind of the buzzword at the moment you know positive vibes only that sort of thing which is fair enough uh, i think in my opinion they mean pretty much the same thing um so let's go with with my first kind of topic of the day which is my experiences with optimism and cycling i don't know um how many people are going to listen to this that actually know about my kind of previous story but one of the things I used to do quite a lot was cycle uh, on road bikes. I went to places like France, Italy and Scotland on different cycle tours over three years. I was the captain of my cycling club at my secondary school. I don't know why I told you that. I really, shouldn't be particularly proud of that fact. But I was. Um, and I did, I did for a time really enjoy it. And I still do enjoy watching it. Um, I've said multiple times over the past few months and year that I would get back into cycling and I am determined to do it I just haven't found the correct motivation in my head to get on the bike and go for it um because my fitness is pretty shocking at the moment I won't lie to you all um but yeah so we'll, we'll uh I'll talk to you about my optimism when it came to cycling because I had some pretty low moments when I was cycling uh that were often dictated by how positive I was uh, if I, you know, if I lost the, if I lost the funny side of things or I didn't really, you know, wasn't the right mind frame for, for doing quite a gruelling challenge such as, you know, cycling close to 100 miles for every day for around a week in some of the harshest terrain you can find. Um, so my first cycle tour was to France. Um, that was, I was not prepared for that. I was nowhere near at the level of fitness that I should have been for that kind of exercise, that kind of challenge. And I guess it pushed me, it, it definitely, I, nothing about it, uh, I definitely went, hit my limit and had to just go go further than it. I went to, um, on that cycling tour, we went to different mountains that the Tour de France, uh, one of the most famous bike races in the world, um, they go up a lot of different mountains as a as the kind of challenging part of the race and we we decided that we were going to emulate them and go up a couple of the big famous ones that they also go up uh, these include uh, if you want to search them on you know google or anything like that um 
the Col de Isouard, I'm probably getting this French pronunciation very wrong. Uh, yeah, the Col de Isouard, uh, the Alpe d'Huez, uh, the Col de Isouard, uh, the Col de Telegraph and the Col de Glibier, which are often linked. Uh, there's kind of a, the Col de Telegraph is a smaller, smaller climb and then the Col de Glibier is the big one. Um, and a few others, I can't quite remember the name of. They were lesser climbs. They weren't done on the tour, but they were good fun either way. Um, Funnily enough, I had my kind of, as I mentioned before, I nearly died on that tour mentally. I just totally broke and had to just keep pushing regardless. And that was on the uh, Calder Telegraph and Galibier. I That day was, I think, the third day of the trip. And we had, um, obviously, we'd done, we'd done the Izawad, which was quite, quite a big climb on the first day. The second day was one of the lesser known climbs that I can't remember the name of off the top of my head. And the, the third day, like I've said, is the Telegraph and the Galibier. The Telegraph is still a fairly substantial climb in its in its own right, to be fair. Uh, it's, it's just a kind of smaller gradient. Uh, these climbs can range anywhere from uh, maybe 10 kilometres up to nearly 20, 30. They're, they're big mountains, they're big mountain passes that I wouldn't recommend cycling up unless you're just a little bit crazy in the head. Um, but yeah, I guess that reflects me at the time. Uh, it was just I was well into it and I thought it'd be a good challenge so I did it and I'm glad I did but the positivity side of things it really lacked on that trip because I was I was struggling so we were going up the we went from our hotel up the telegraph and the telegraph was great I was like oh, okay that was that's pretty simple I've I've heard pretty like, horror stories about it the reason there are horror stories behind this climb is because of what it leads up to which is the Galibier the Glibier is massive. They did it in this year's Tour de France, 2019 Tour de France. Um, it wasn't... They went over a different side that I went over. They went... There's an Italian side and a French side. And they went up the Italian side and down the French side. And I went up the French side and down the Italian side. Um, but the Telegraph kind of wore me out. And as I've said, my fitness levels weren't great. And it was after three days of riding already. So I was, as you can imagine, already pretty fatigued. The telegraph was fine and then I got onto the Glibier which starts off at a quite a small gradient. It's only about four to five percent for the first couple of kilometres and then it just decides to rear its ugly head and kicks right up to around seven, eight percent and just sticks there uh, with a few kicks of up to ten um, at the different hairpins. So as I said, I was very fatigued and my, obviously your mental state, if you've ever competed in a sport that's been very mentally taxing, physically taxing, it, it really puts a pressure on your, your mental game to stay positive, to stay optimistic. And on that climb, I lost all of that optimism. I went from being, oh, the telegraph was great. I was, I was optimistic. I was confident. I'll come back to confidence. I think optimism and confidence are very linked. Uh, but the, the confidence was high, the optimism was high. We were all having a joke and a laugh at the bottom of the Glibier. Uh, we met the bus, we had a little mini bus following us around um, with our supplies because obviously it's a lot to carry with a lot of, lot of uphill cycling to do. So the less weight we can carry, the better sort of thing. Uh, so we grabbed some supplies from the bus and started off the Glibier. And again, I was like, yeah, great, Glibier is great. It's, uh, it started slow and I've had a nice little warm up from the Telegraph. I felt good, I didn't feel that fatigued. And then the Glibier kicked up and that was when I was like, oh, dear Lord, I'm in trouble. Yeah, that was, yeah, it was bad. It was, it was bad. I went from a smile on my face, enjoying the weather to cycling up into the clouds as the gradient increased. 
Uh, and the funny thing about the Glibier is this where the kind of turn happens there's just a left turn and a big hairpin and the gradient immediately kicks up and up until the summit it just doesn't it's relentless it doesn't stop so i went from four to five percent easy trundling along having a great time turning this left hand corner and immediately regretting all of my life choices that led me to this point and no exaggeration the uh i think you'll find that in a lot of the stories i have i i often tend to regret the, the choices I made to get myself in these stupid positions but anyway so I was going up this climb and it got increasingly harder the weather turned it was difficult the the climb is just uh as I said a mountain pass and there's a massive there was just a sheer drop off and I could see the road that we traveled down the valley to get up to this to the, the point where I was that climb um, and I just wished I was on that smaller gradient and I was I was struggling. I was trundling along maybe three, four miles an hour to give you a, a kind of an embarrassing story about this whole situation. A man and his dog. Obviously, he'd been doing this for years and he was extremely fit, but he was walking up this mountain pass faster than I was cycling. I kept having to stop because I just I was willing myself forward and I just I kept having these lapses of like, let's just I just can't do this anymore. So yeah, this this guy and his dog walked past me and that was when I started to go, you know what, I am in trouble here. Because, as I said, these climbs are very, very long and the team bus, the minibus that was following us, had gone to the top already. So unless I rang someone and said, you're going to have to come back down and do a really daunting three-point turn on the minibus that's, you know, going to be difficult on a road with a sheer drop, you're going to have to come and get me. Uh, so I was like, I don't really have an option there. I don't want to phone up and admit defeat. Uh, stubborn, stubborn old bastard me, but yeah, the uh, I went from, as I said, being optimistic to really, really low. The guy walked past me with his dog, and although the dog made me smile for like half a second, I then realised what was actually happening. The guy was physically walking past me, um, <laughs> so yeah, that was demoralising to say the least, and I lost all of that positivity, all of that optimism. I think it's it's really important to. I wish, I, yeah, what I'm trying to say is I wish I knew all of the kind of the sports psychology type tricks that you can use to keep your optimism up in situations where it's really lacking. So things like self-talk and imagery and all of the, there are kind of things that lead into confidence that I wish I'd known about. I was using some at the time, uh, which I'll talk about more in detail a bit later when I go into kayaking. Excuse me. The, um... But the one I used at the time was self-talk. I went from, this is great, to, oh my God, what am I doing? This is horrible, I can't do this. And that whole phrase, I can't do this, is, um, I mean, it's very cliche, but it does does really put you at a disadvantage. I went from happy to sad in a matter of seconds, all because I said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. And up until that point, before I'd said that, I was I was doing okay. Uh, so I am from from that point on, I was always a big believer that what you say in your head to yourself is a big dictator of how you react physically and and how you get on with the challenge that you're facing. But I managed to turn it around. I I kind of got off my bike. I stood there for a second. I talked to myself and I said, you know, I can see a I can see a house up ahead. There was a it was kind of like a, a farmer's hut almost and it was abandoned. But I could see it in the road. It was starting to... The clouds were starting to descend. It was getting higher and higher. And the auction was getting lower. But I saw this house in the distance. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and get to that. And that's the big one for me. Goal setting. If you're ever struggling with the optimism, setting small, achievable goals 
is really, really useful in keeping that optimism going. Because once you reach that goal, you're like, yes, done it. A little boost of adrenaline, a little boost of energy. And you go, okay, I've done that goal. What's the next goal? Just keep pushing yourself, pushing yourself, pushing yourself to get to these next little goals. So I did that. I got to this hut and stupidly, like I say, I wish I'd known about sports psychology before or I'd studied it before I went on the cycling trip because I did the small goal thing. But that small goal was the big goal because I was like, well, that hut must be civilization. Therefore, I've got to the top and I'd been cycling for three hours almost um, up this just up the mountain. We'd be cycling for another two to get up the telegraph and to this Galibier point. So I'd been cycling for a, a few hours up this mountain and it was starting to really get me down and I saw this house and I was like that's civilization that's the finish my god was it not the finish yeah yeah that was not not the finish so I got to this hut and was like okay where is everyone and then I kind of slowly the the back part of my brain was like you're an idiot of course it wasn't the finish there would be a big you know a big summit with a big monument and there would be a lot of people milling around in a car park but this was just a hut on the side of the road and slowly, slowly, I let my brain kind of process that one. Um, it was uh, it was horrible. I don't mind admitting that I cried my eyes out. I was alone on this mountain, uh, and I think that's probably what what kind of set off the crying because I was I knew I was I was totally alone. There was I could have rang someone to come and get me, but I was being stubborn about it, and I realised the only way for me to go was up this mountain, just carry on and. Um, I just kind of draped myself over my bike, just shed a couple of tears. I was exhausted and I was cold because I think it's, it's difficult. Although I was cycling, I was using all of my energy to physically will this bike up this 8% gradient. I was you know, pulling on the handlebars of my shoulders and my arms. And I was using my back to kind of lever my legs forward and I was pedaling so slowly. It was a, the word grind does not even come close. I was grinding hard in the top gear I had going full pelt about three miles an hour. And it was, it was horrible. So I'm going up this climb and I've, you know, I've realized I've cried. I've picked myself up. I've had an energy gel gone you know what I literally cannot I cannot go anywhere else but still just keep going up this climb so I did I went up this climb and it took me another hour or two I was on a bike for far too long that day everyone else in the in the group had flown off I was always the slowest because like I said my fitness was shocking at that point uh, I was always the slowest in that group so they'd all flown off and I I assumed they were just waiting at the top which they were and uh, I felt bad for them because I had to wait for a few hours for me to come uh, to come around the corner. Um, so, yeah, I was I was cycling along and I got there and I I rounded this corner and uh, a teacher that I really looked up to at that point, um, who was the kind of the leader of the cycle tour, uh, was like, well, he kind of he was standing on the outside of the road and I saw him and I was like, oh, my God, I think I've done it. So he. I cycled towards him and he, as I cycled past him, he said, well done that you've done it. And, uh, I literally could not, could not comprehend that. I think it's taught me a big lesson from that point. I must've been about oh, 17 then and I'm 22 now. And in those years since that day, since that point where my teacher told me that I'd done it, um, optimism has always been a, a big thing for me. And it's not about, People say positive vibes only a lot. I hear that a lot. And I think that's actually pretty damaging. I think you you can't always be positive. It's physically impossible. 
it's mentally impossible. You can't always be positive. Some people have a have a penchant for being positive a lot of the time and others others have quite a negative outlook a lot of the time and there's literally nothing wrong with either of those approaches but even the people that seem confident all the time seem positive and optimistic all the time will have low moments it's just the way it goes and from that point on I vow to myself when you get to that lowest point where I was physically I, I got to that house that little farmer's hut and I was like I am done I cannot go any further. It's just a case of having a word with yourself and gaining that optimism in any way you can to be like, look, you either don't have a choice or you've done this for a reason. Think about that reason and get on with it and just do it. So I pushed myself and I pushed myself and I got to the top of that mountain and my God, it nearly killed me. I got off the bike. One of my mates from the group said, hey, Nat, do you want a ham and cheese baguette? And I was like, absolutely not. I literally fell off my bike and just sat next. I sat like with my back to a wall staring at this monument and again, just cried my eyes out for a good like five minutes. And my mate was like, maybe I'll, I'll come back later. And I was like, yeah, that's a good, good plan. I don't feel like eating right now. Um, I don't know if you ever thought about eating whilst you're crying, but it's not. It's not advisable. It's not a weird. It's a weird experience. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. So yeah, um, that was my experience with cycling in terms of the French Alps and uh, my experience with positivity in the French Alps. So I guess the take home message from all of this is, even in those low moments where you lose all the positivity, all the optimism, it's just a case of bouncing back from that. You're allowed to have those moments where you're low and you're allowed to deal with those however you like as long as there's the process of picking yourself up and starting again. There's a, always going to be a controversial you know, side to this, which is you know, how long does it take? People can dwell in those negative thoughts quite, quite a long time after they necessarily need to. Um, but that's individual to the person, individual to the situation. So I won't go into that uh, just yet. Maybe a future guest can have a conversation with me about it. Who knows? Um, again, I am so sorry for not having a guest on this show. <laughs> yeah, I I have, I promise, I have got people who are willing to talk to me about stuff they're interested in. i got a really exciting couple of ones lined up, I'm sure, that you're all going to really enjoy them. So, moving on um, to kayaking, as I mentioned. This was, when did I go kayaking? That was when I was around 18, maybe a, a year or two later after the French fiasco the french job italian job french job um so yeah the the kayaking i did a race called the devices to westminster marathon canoe race uh it's i don't have the exact stats however it is around a it's well over 100 miles i think it's 172 miles it's close close to that um anywhere from about 150 to 200 miles I maybe even slow myself short there. It might be over 200. I'm really not sure. I probably should have checked that before I started talking about this. But yeah, there's, there's a Devizes to Westminster marathon canoe race. It starts in Devizes uh, and it goes, which is somewhere in the countryside, and it goes all the way down to Westminster, to London. Uh, so it was me and a friend of mine, Isaac, who uh, I've spoken to, and he's one of the guests that I'm hoping to get on. Uh, so yeah, I've spoken to Isaac, my man, my mate that I did this race with, um, and he'll be coming on soon. But this race was another point in my life where I got really, really low, and I did not have any optimism about the situation. I, but it's also a time when I used 
a different kind of again I still didn't know about sports psychology and my god did I wish I did but I used another kind of sports psychology technique that helps with um, coping and optimism you could argue that the optimism and the, the the techniques I'm telling you about for sports psychology is is relevant to excuse me relevant to coping as well as optimism but that's a discussion for another time so I used a mantra again similar to self-talk um with obviously kayak we were in a kayak um and I don't know if you've ever seen kayaking but it involves a lot of arms and a lot of you know the same movement continuously and that same movement really lends itself well to a mantra so every paddle stroke that I did to get from Devizes to London Bridge was a kind of I, I said a phrase to myself, so every paddle stroke would be keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Now, the paddle strokes are dictated by the front man, uh, obviously a two-man kayak, one on the front, one on the back. Isaac was in the front, he was uh, steering the boat, and I was in the back just plowing along, trying to push us forward. Um, obviously, Isaac was paddling and pushing us forward too, but my sole job was to just push us onwards. Um, and there were so, so many points in that race where I was totally, totally gone in my head. Um, I knew one of the things that I knew that helped was the mantra from previous training exercises, because obviously you can't jump into a massive race like that. Um, and it's, I think I have, I missed out point there. It's worth mentioning this race is done over, um, three days four days only a couple of days um and you have to set up your own camp in the evenings feed yourself that sort of thing it's kind of you have support crews from your parents and whatnot um but it's predominantly you and your partner in a boat paddling all day get out the boat put it away set up your tent have something to eat go to sleep wake up paddle again same routine over and over again for a couple of days until you get to london uh, so we've been doing this routine and the mantra really helped as I've said with the paddle strokes um, but with one of my lowest moments I think it's worth mentioning confidence at this point um, your confidence tends to tends to disappear as your positivity tends to disappear there I think they're intrinsically linked um, if uh, if anyone disagrees with that I would love to have a discussion about it I think that'd be really fun um, but yeah the confidence a part of confidence previous experience breeds confidence so if you had a say let's take uh whatever a, a darts match say in your first throw of your of a darts match you get 180 and you go oh my god that was amazing if you could hit 180 and that previous experience your next darts match you'll be much more confident that the first throw you do is going to be a good one because you hit 180 in your last match um and I really tried to feed off the fact that our training sessions before this race had gone really well. And I went to myself, you know, we'd done really well. We'd passed all of the, you have to pass a series of, they're called waterside races, um, in order to be eligible to start the, the Devizes to Westminster race. So we did this, these watersides, we did really well. And we were like, oh, that was really easy. But these days, uh, this waterside race, the longest one's only about 20 miles. They go, there's three of them and they go from like, eight to like 14 to 20 ish um i can't remember off the top of my head but the these races are not the same as the devices to westminster race because the devices to westminster race you're going from your first day you start at like over 20 miles 
The second day is further, close to 30. The third day is the longest, which is like 34, 36-ish miles. And then the last day is uh, only about 11 or 12 into London on the Thames. Uh, as you can imagine, kayaking on the Thames with bad weather, which was what we had on the third last time, the evening of the third day, well, it was not enjoyable, but it actually it actually helped in some ways because focusing on the waves hitting you and trying to stay upright and not capsizing in this massive river that was just widening and widening and the weather was getting darker and cloudier, it was horrible. But focusing on those waves and Isaac was no doubt focusing on the the steering of the ship to try and hit the waves head on rather than, you know, nearly nearly crashing and hitting, getting hit on the side by a wave or anything like that. So I think it's uh, it actually helped. It was almost a blessing in disguise because you had to focus on keeping your core tight and just paddling as hard as you can to try and get through this horrible experience. Um, I've I've heard it called being called type two fun before, which is where you you know you do something and it sucks whilst you're in it, but the fun in it is when you finish it and you have that sense of achievement. So I guess it was I guess it was type two fun, but yeah. As I, as I was saying, the kind of mental optimism side of things really really started to lack in that race as well. And I, I'm not sure if Isaac knows this actually, but um, the uh, some of the race I would be paddling and almost in tears. I had a recurring uh, a repetitive strain injury in my shoulder. Uh, my right side is stronger than my left side uh, in general. And I'm right-handed. I do everything with my right side. And I did uh, my shoulder in, my right shoulder in. So I, my, all the power from my right shoulder was um, almost disappearing because this this, recur- this repeated shoulder injury that just kept... It was kind of, I think I was catching... Uh, I was, wasn't quite paddling with the right technique and it was starting to catch on... Your shoulder's a very complex joint, so it's starting to catch on some some of the things in there. And it was starting to cause real problems. I was in a lot of pain. And I remember um one of the I think the deputy head of the school that was I was my secondary school, who was kind of they were running the uh the race, um, our crews through that race via the school. And uh, the deputy head of the school was there to help us all. He was an ex military guy. And he was saying to me, uh he, he saw me and we'd stopped at uh Reading which is near nearby where I live and the uh it was it was nice to see a kind of familiar place but also um the deputy head saw me and they saw that I was struggling and he was like hey look there's millions of people that do the London Marathon each year and only around 500 do the DW the Divisor Westminster race every year that tells you something about how hard this race is and how many how many people fail because there's a lot of failures in the DW people pull out frequently I heard a story I'm not sure if it's true um, but I think it was Sir Steve Redgrave tried to do there's two types of races you can do it over four days or you can do it in 24 hours Um, and I heard a story that Sir Steve Redgrave tried to do it in 24 hours and had to pull out because it was so difficult now I don't advocate doing this this race over 24 hours I think that's absolutely mind-bogglingly difficult and I really wouldn't recommend it unless you've been kayaking pretty much your whole life um, it's a cool challenge if you do if you do fancy your fitness and a new challenge then kayaking is a fantastic sport and I definitely intre- like push your interest in getting out onto the water and seeing how you feel um, 
but yeah, he said he said those words to me about how there's loads of people that do the marathon and not that many that do this. And the amount of people that drop out of the race as well is just another factor to mean that you, you know, you have to push on and you're you're doing a great job. Those sorts of those sorts of things, those sorts of positive attitudes from external people. And that's what I'm trying to get at with this with this whole kayaking section is the positive attitudes of other people can really bring you up. Um I think it's worth noting for yourself as well as as well as others. So if you if you're in a sporting match or a situation where the negativity is real and it's it's biting hard, I think it's worth trying to pull yourself up by pulling others up. I can't understate the value of someone else being positive for you. Someone that you, you know, you believe in and you trust. That's really important. Um but I I'd say like I said I'll get Isaac on the show to talk about all of this, but the another factor for the whole I was really struggling in the DW race and another factor that pushed me through all of that was the fact that if Isaac isn't going to stop I'm not going to stop so there was that as well I'm, I'm not sure we've ever spoken about it properly but I think that was a that was a driving factor for both of us you know he thought well if Nat's not going to stop I'm not going to stop and I thought the same of him so we just didn't we just ended up carrying on and somehow finishing this race in uh, I think it was 26 hours overall um and yeah I'll, I'll go into more detail with that whole thing when i when i get isaac on the podcast um so the next point and the next kind of just to bring this down a bit is to talk about the negative side of positivity and i think it's kind of overlooked sometimes people often don't think because it's, it's associated with happy feelings and positive vibes but optimism does have a negative side it can be actually detrimental to whatever it is you're doing your health um think things such as that um i'll give you some examples um say uh dog training you're training your dog and it's got some bad behavior that you really want to snuff out and then it's got some bad behavior that you isn't as important isn't a priority to you and you go you know you're optimistic about it you know what we'll we'll sort this this main problem out and it'll be fine that other problem will be fine it'll sort itself out it'll be okay and that kind of positive attitude yeah yeah it'll be fine it'll be fine. it'll be great you'll be fine just sort out that main that main one um we'll really work on that and the other one that'll sort itself out that's fine or say in kayaking it, the the format of the race is you kayak for a few miles however long it may be and then you get to a portage which is where you have to get out of the boat put it over your shoulder and run with it past the lock or whatever blockage there is in the canal or river, uh, put the boat back in and start off again. And at those portages, our support crews, uh, mostly our parents, would feed us and give us water and drinks and stuff and give us a rest if we needed it. Um, and that's one one negative that I thought may have come out of that. We weren't guilty of this, but the whole resting situation, it's, it's almost shunned upon to be like, oh, you're resting. You don't need to rest. You haven't got time to rest. You've got to get this day finished. You got to, you got to, you know, you got to, you got to push on with this race. You, it won't get done by itself. You've got to just paddle on and keep going. But that whole resting, if you, if you know the next portage, next time you're going to meet your support crew is in ten miles. You need to stock up hard. But if you go, yeah, yeah, I'll be optimistic about this. I'm going to be fine. I feel pretty crap at the moment you know my shoulder's really hurting whatever's really hurting i'm really like losing the will to live with this my mental side's gone whatever but you know what we'll just i'll be optimistic i'll be fine let's just do it you get 
a mile down the river or the canal, wherever you are, and it turns out that you're not fine. You're genuinely in trouble. And then because you didn't rest, because you're optimistic about your state and you went, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Because of that, it really did affect you. And I think that can be, that was obviously a kayaking specific example. I'm not sure a lot of the people listening to this have ever actually been kayaking. But if you have, you know, you'll relate. If you haven't, there's got to be other situations where you can relate to a similar sort of thing. Um, one for me is also injuries. I tore my meniscus in my left knee um a while back now and i was optimistic in the rehab process so i did some step ups and the people that i lived with uh at the time in my in my house at uni were well you know yeah yeah that that's a good idea because i i'd almost convinced them of that i thought it was a good idea you know okay i'm going to do a leg day today i'm going to my meniscus seems okay it's not been hurting for a few days i'm going to go to the gym and i'm going to do squats and split squats and deadlifts and step ups and box jumps and I'm going to really hammer my legs to see where I can push it to and my god did I mess that one up I did a step up and I'd done I think two and I was like yeah it hurts a bit maybe I should lower the the height of it I was like you know what I'll be positive you know positive vibes optimistic we're going to be fine you can do this it's hurting but yeah you'll be all right and I kind of re-injured it um, and it set me back, set me back maybe a month. I was back to hobbling around. I couldn't walk for the next week. Um, the recovery time was obviously faster than when I initially hurt it, but I'd definitely re, re-injured myself and it was a bad, bad call because I was positive. Um, so yeah, I don't want to end this, this whole, <laughs> I don't want to end this whole podcast on a disgustingly negative note of don't be positive don't be optimistic um it's just worth worth considering i think the way to combat it is to have realistic goals uh i had a conversation with someone a few days ago that was saying oh the uh the negative side of things you know is i'm not a negative person i'm not a pessimist i'm a realist and i'm sure if you're listening to this you've probably heard that too um and those realists um I understand where they're coming from, but I think it's better to be better to try and be positive and put yourself in a bracket of, OK, I'm just a bit of a pessimist and and that that sort of thing. But I'm trying to be positive rather than calling it a realist because the realist realistic goals are really important when it comes to optimism. If you go take the take the dot, I work through the examples I gave you. So the dog training example, um, you can be optimistic and be like, yeah, yeah, it'll sort itself out. But actually once you've sorted that other problem, say say the dog's aggressive towards um, other dogs in the park. That's the main priority issue that you're going to try and fix. And then the other kind of underlying issue that isn't as much of a priority is that it's, um, you know, it's it, every time the postman comes to the door, it attacks the door and he puts the letters through and it rips the letters apart because it's it's afraid of things you know, coming into its, its space, its, its home. Um, and you go, yeah, yeah, I'll sort out the being aggressive towards other dogs and the other one with the postman will just sort itself out. It'll get used to the things coming through the letterbox and, you know, the postman coming to the door every day. It'll be fine. And then you fix the problem with the other dogs, but the problem with the postman hasn't gone away and it won't go away until you fix that too. But because you're optimistic, the problem's only built because the dogs become more and more agitated by the door and the postman and the the letters coming through the box that one day 
you know, the, the postman puts the letters through the box and the dog sat at the door waiting for him. And he puts his fingers through as well. And the dog starts trying to bite letters and grabs the guy's fingers. That's going to cause a whole heap of problems for you, the dog and the postman. Um, so they're kind of the realistic goals with that is, well, OK, we need to focus on being aggressive with the dogs at the park because that's the main issue here. But we can't ignore the fact that he will, the dog will attack the door. So we need to put measures in to, you know, to to think about that. So be realistic in the case of, well, this isn't going to go away like that. We can't be optimistic about the fact that it's just going to disappear because I don't think it will. So we need to at least put some measures in place to stop him from doing that, which might be putting him in the kitchen and closing the door so that when the postman comes around, say, 11 o'clock in the morning, every day you put the dog in at 10.30. Dog chills out in the kitchen until the postman's gone, let it out. Dog doesn't doesn't know any better. Um, so moving on to the kayaking example, the kind of realistic goals of this all would be, you know, well, I'm positive that I can get through this next 10 miles before the next contact time with our support team and you turn around and you kind of take a, a step back and you go okay I'm gonna take five minutes of rest just to evaluate what's going on with me and myself um, get some more fuel on board get some more uh, get some more water down me uh, and in that kind of five minutes rest you go okay is it really realistic at this point is my shoulder going to hold up for another 10 miles? And you can turn around realistically and be like, look, I'm not going to be optimistic about this because I think it's not worth it if we have to stop in the middle of nowhere and we're going to be in big trouble then. So you go, okay, can we meet you earlier? Is there a place that you don't have to portage, but we can stop where you can meet us so that I can have a break again and have some more food and chill out for a while? Those sort of realistic, realistic goals. So I think it's a case of vetting when you're optimistic um, and not blindly rushing in. There's always got to be a second of step back, take a look at the bigger picture. Is this realistic or am I going to get myself in trouble here? Um, as same, same from my experience with the injury, you know, doing the step ups, I probably should have gone. OK, it's only been around a week since I've been able to walk and go upstairs normally and walk downstairs normally without pain. Uh, so maybe I should take it easy and just do one exercise and see how that goes rather than trying to push it and do you know push my legs to fatigue and then do more exercises on top of that so i'll just do you know five by five five sets five reps on squats and i'll see how that goes and then in a couple of days time once i've recovered from that i'll just do step ups and box jumps and then a couple of days you know etc 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 so yeah that's that's my my overall message for the podcast today i think when it comes to optimism optimism is great um if someone says they're never negative or they're never down, that's a lie. <laughs> um, feel free to to bash me for that. I mean, I if someone is genuinely always positive, that's fantastic. I'd love to meet them. But personally, my opinion, I don't think anyone is like that. And finally, if you know the realistic goals, this taking a step back, having a look at how optimistic you are being and whether that's realistic, is definitely something that I would recommend. Uh God, here we are again at the outro. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. It was a bit of a, hopefully a bit better. I've done this all in one take as well, so that was a good little step for me to do. Uh, the next couple of guests I've got planned uh, should be really interesting. One, I'm going to tell you now, I, I wasn't going to, but I think I will. I'm going to tell you now, one guest uh, is hopefully coming on, is going to be talking about American football. Uh, one guest is going to be coming on, hopefully talking about wrestling. Uh, amateur wrestling and another guest that comes on will be talking about a load of general stuff which we haven't quite nailed down yet 
Um, and I've got another guest in the works as well that's going to be talking about travel. Uh, so yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting the next few episodes, I think. And now that I've got myself into this kind of one-take situation, I've worked out how to add people to the call, and I know how to edit everything, I think we should be good. Um, so that puts 40 minutes on this podcast. That's longer than the seven-minute first episode, so I'm happy with that. If you've stayed with me to the end of this 40 minutes, thank you so much. That is amazing, and I love the fact that you you enjoyed what you heard today, or at least have stuck with it and not turned off after 10 minutes of my babbling so i really appreciate that obviously this is going to be on spotify it's going to be on anchor this app and i'm hoping within the next few days it should be on itunes and then on a couple of the other other platforms for podcasts so as that progresses i will be putting that all over my social media um and we'll kind of go from there so thank you so much and yeah stay optimistic but realistic That was good. All right, see you later, guys.